Our Father in heaven, thank you for your words. Thank you that through the Lord Jesus you spoke these things those years ago and have recorded them for us that we might live by them as well. And please would you help and me to be faithful to your words, help us to be faithful in listening and doing what you've called us to. And we pray it for your glory. Amen. Uh, I think there's a photo going up on the screen. I'd love you to take a look at it. It's a little... Go back. Oh, wrong, wrong, error, error. It's all gone wrong now. It's all gone wrong. Uh, I'd love you to look at the picture just for a minute. And imagine you haven't seen the next one, if you can. Thanks, Lal. Um, it's a little dark, I'll admit. It's a bunch of people out for a night hike. I don't know if you're into hiking. I think one or two of you certainly are into, into your country walks. I used to quite like uh, hiking until I had children, um, and then it doesn't really happen anymore. But um, going out for a night hike, I think, is quite a fun thing to do. Maybe you've done it, maybe you'd uh, like to do it again. But I wonder if you were walking this route, Lal, you can put the photo up now, it'd be great. Thank you. If you were walking this route, uh, this is, I don't know how you pronounce this, but I'm going to have a go. This is Hua Shan in China. It is the most dangerous path in the world, climbing to an altitude of over 2,100 metres. Uh, you would have to be pretty sure that whatever was at the end of this was uh, worth it, I think, to risk the walk, wouldn't you? And what is at the top, anyone know? It's a tea shop. <laughs> Chinese tea house. Uh, there's also a pavilion where you can play chess along the way. I don't know if that really appeals to you. I'm not sure I could be persuaded to go up there for that. We've now reached the, uh, the final section of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is calling us to choose our path. Uh, take the easy road, or choose the hard path. Go with the crowd, or choose the path less travelled. If you were going to choose the, the Hua Shan Pass, I guess you'd need to know that what, whatever was at the top was worth uh, getting to, wouldn't you? And you want to make sure that you could see where you were going. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I'd want to do that path by night. And you'd want to make sure that you had a guide who knew what they were doing, wouldn't you? And so it is with our choice this morning. We need to be clear at what's at stake. And we need to be sure that we're sticking to the right path. And first we need to make the decision to, at first point, follow Christ to life. Verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. That's the headline for our passage. If you get nothing else this morning, that's the headline. It is Christ's command to us. And what follows is his reasoning for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Notice that there are pairs to Gates, two paths, two destinations, and two crowds. The first path is chosen by default. There's a big wide gate and a flat wide path. Anything goes. It's the path that carries many people. It is the easy route. It is the going with the flow route. But notice the destination, would you? Destruction. It is the path of those who are in darkness, wandering through the world with a spiritual blindness. And in the end, it is the path of people who are eternally separated from the source of life that is God himself. It is the, pop the path populated by those of every religion and none. 
by young and old, by those who in the world's eyes are wise and those who are foolish. It is the path that every one of us has walked on. And for some of us here, it is the path we are still walking on. Would you take the dangerous path at Huashan? If to choose not to meant certain death, if you were, for example, going to be hit by a massive flood, and the only way of escape was to take that rickety wooden bridge, would you take it? I guess that most of us would, wouldn't we? And so will you heed Jesus' warning here? To be apart from him is certain destruction. What about the wise path? It's an unassuming gate, did you notice? It's a small gate. The path is narrow and difficult. It's easily missed, and only a relatively few find it. And the reason for that, I think, is there in, at the end of verse 14. Because to get on it, you have to find it. That takes us back just to last week's passage, 7 verse 8, where we were told that everyone who seeks finds. So you have to be seeking the path. And that, of course, takes us back to chapter 6, verse 33, where we're told that uh, we're to seek first the kingdom. Uh, the posture of the person who goes through the gate is as somebody who is looking for God, is looking for the kingdom, who longs to be where Jesus is. It's a small gate. It's a narrow path. But it is the only path to eternal life. Would you take the Huashan path if staying below meant certain death and going to the top of the pass meant certain eternal life with God in his glorious kingdom forever? Notice too that Jesus is talking about both a gate and a path. Jesus is speaking here to those who have uh, come to uh, follow him around to his disciples and he says there is both a gate that is, uh, the way into relationship with God, following Jesus, turning uh, to follow him, trusting in Jesus, uh, his death and resurrection for you, and a path, the way you have to walk for the whole rest of your life, uh, listening to Jesus, following Jesus. And so whether you're making the decision for the first time today, and I hope you will, or you've been a Christian for decades, uh, will we take the narrow path? Trusting in Jesus, you see, necessarily leads to living for Jesus, to walking in his path. To, to trust him is to trust his words about what's best for us in how we live, what, what, what's most honouring to God. To trust him is to seek to live according to his words. For example, his words in the Sermon on the Mount and the whole rest of the Bible besides. That's tough, isn't it? See, the smooth road, the road of going with the flow, requires no commitment. But this is the more difficult, narrow way. It requires perseverance, doggedness, persistence. Perhaps some of us are getting tired along the way. We've been at it for a long time. Well, let's remember what's at the end of the path. See, being with Christ in his glory, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Jesus says, yours is the kingdom of God if you're following him. See, so long as we're, we're comparing the paths with each other, if all we do is look at the rocky, difficult path that goes upwards, and we compare it to the big, wide, paved, smooth road that goes to destruction, if we look at the two paths only, 
We're always going to long for the easier way, aren't we? The path more travelled. But if we recognise how very different the ends are, how totally opposed, how very eternal they are, I take it we would be desperate not to go on the wide road. If your choice is between destruction and eternity, between being separated from God as Father forever and enjoying him as God, uh, God as Father forever, well, I take it however attractive the way looks, we will not want to leave the narrow path for a second, will we? We must go this way. Jesus commands us the narrow gate, the narrow road. Why is, why is it that this path is more difficult? I take it because temptations litter the way. Stumbling blocks that are always there to trip us up. See, those who live on the wide road, they can do as they please. Every worldview is accepted, every lifestyle is embraced. And so you do what you want. But every Christian here knows that to be a Christian is to battle against our natural tendency to do our own thing. And to strive to live for Jesus. There is a battle that goes on within the Christian. The fight against our own sin. Our own hearts often want to lead us away from Jesus. And we're still attracted to the things that lead to destruction. And it is for this reason that we are eminently susceptible to deception. Susceptible to the siren call of the blind guide who uh, tells us it's okay to put our foot, our foot here rather than there. And suddenly we're falling from the Huashan footpath at terminal velocity. My friends, let me say, our path is secure. It is a safe place to be. And the destination is certain, but that is no good for us if we choose to step away from the path. If we don't pay attention to where we're going, then we're in trouble. I take it that many people have walked on the Huashan Pass and made it fine. If you keep your eyes in front of you and put one foot after the other, you'll be fine. And we're told, aren't we, in Psalm 119, verse 105, that the Lord's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You wouldn't want to take the Huashan path uh, by night. But I guess if you had a powerful light to show you the next step and the next step, maybe you'd be okay. Well, the word of Christ is the guide to keeping us on the straight path. Jesus has walked there. And that's why the Sermon on the Mount, I think, has been a really fruitful thing for us to listen to over the last few months, hasn't it? I mean, I've really enjoyed it. I think many of us have really appreciated Jesus' teaching here. God has graciously told us where the path is. And he's shown us Jesus walking that path first. In his word, God has given us everything we need to stick to the path and to make it to eternity. Which is why our teachers are really important. And that, and that really brings us to the second problem and the one that this passage really focuses on. It's the danger of the false teacher. The teacher who would lead us ever so subtly off the narrow path and back to the way of destruction. Because you see, there are only two paths, aren't there? You're always on one of them. You're either on the narrow path that leads to life or you're on the wide road that leads to destruction. There is no third place. There's no bench to sit down and ponder. You're on one or the other. And the false teacher 
will simply make the narrow path look like the wide road. And ever so subtly, you find you're back on the way to destruction again. And so you must follow Christ to life, being wary of those who would lead you to destruction. Which is our second point. And here we move from, uh, from the first to the second of four applicatory units in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to come to the other two next week. And these two, I think, are linked together by the idea of perseverance, of keeping going. And again, we begin with an imperative, don't we? A command. Watch out for false prophets. Beware. The assumption here is that you have made the decision to go through the narrow, the narrow gate, the small gate. And you want to go on the path. But Jesus says you must be watchful. Be careful here, because there are such things as false prophets. A prophet is one who speaks with God's authority on his behalf. And here we have people who claim to speak for God, but are false. They would lead us out of the right path, and therefore back to the wrong path. That is their raison d'etre, it's what they're there for. Notice, would you please, they come to you in sheep's clothing, verse 15. They come to you, perhaps, suggest that they are outside of the church and coming in, whether that's through through books or MP3 downloads or just somebody coming and claiming to be an authoritative person speaking in the church. Uh, But we shouldn't restrict it to that because Paul in Acts 20, if you know Acts 20, he gathers together the church leaders at Ephesus and says, even some of you will become uh, such wolves. And so the Bible uh, understands that Uh, These wolves in sheep's clothing uh, are often outside the church and are sometimes inside the church congregation as well. They come in sheep's clothing. The sheep are the flock, the people of God. It is a common biblical picture, one that Jesus used over and again. Jesus, after all, calls himself the good shepherd, as we've been hearing all morning. And these false prophets look for all the world like the rest of the church. You can't tell by looking at them that they're anything other than real sheep. They put on the affectations of the church. They dress like uh, everybody else. They talk like everybody else. They behave like everybody else, at least to begin with. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Imagine that picture, would you? The wolf comes in to do maximum damage. Ordinarily, the wolf uh, sneaks up on the the flock and the shepherd uh, beats the, the wolf back. But this one has come dressed as a sheep and comes right into the midst of the, the flock. It comes to do maximum damage, to devour and to destroy. They come with a very sinister interior desire and intention. But to the watching world, even to the shepherds, if he's not being diligent, the wolf looks like a sheep. Are you frightened? You should be. I'm very struck uh, by chapter 26. Uh, Flick it up later if you want to, where Jesus announces that one of his disciples will betray him. And of course, in my head, what happens next is uh, all of the disciples go, well, it's Judas, isn't it? It's obviously him. He is, so to speak, the black sheep of the family. Uh, That's because in my head, Judas is always seen as the bad guy. But notice what the text says. Each one of the disciples turns to Jesus and says, surely you don't mean me, Lord. That's a frightening thing, isn't it? 
So it wasn't obvious to any of them that Judas was the bad guy. More than that, they all understood that they could themselves be the bad guy, the false believer. See, the false teacher doesn't come into the church wearing a t-shirt that says, I work for Satan. That would be really handy if they did that, wouldn't it? But that's not how it works. The false teacher is not an obvious person. They come with smiles and pleasant, smooth words. Because they're coming to take advantage of you and to deceive you. So beware. Stick to the path. Avoid the false teacher, says Jesus. Because that begs the question, doesn't it? If they're not wearing the t-shirt, how can you tell who the false teachers are? How can you tell who the false uh, prophets are? If their motives are hidden and the wolf is behaving very lamb-like, how can you tell who the false teachers are? Well, Jesus goes on to tell us in verses 16 to 20. He begins and ends with the same phrase. Did you notice that as uh, Jen was reading for us? By their fruit, you will recognise them. And so this whole little unit is explaining how you spot the false teacher. And the first thing to say here is that uh, everyone is represented in this passage. Everyone's a tree. Did you notice that? Uh, This is uh, from the Lucan account in in Luke chapter 6. It doesn't really talk about the false teacher. It's just about uh, believers. How can you tell a true believer from a false believer? Everyone's a tree. See, just as everyone's on the path somewhere, the narrow path or the wide path. So everyone's a tree in Jesus' parable here. And every one of us produces fruit of one kind or another. Verse verse 16. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So if, you, if you want grapes, you go to the vine, don't you? And if you want figs, you go to the fig tree. Or I guess we all go to Sainsbury's, but you know. Um, see, nobody goes to the thorn bush and nobody goes to the thistle. Not for fruit anyway. Because they don't produce. They're not the sort of vegetation that produces useful fruit. You get the right sort of fruit according to the kind of tree you have. So also you get appropriate fruit from the type of prophet or teacher that you have. What is this fruit? Back in chapter 3 verse 8, where John the Baptist is teaching, he says the fruit is in keeping with a life of repentance. So it's, it's the manner of your life. Later on, Matthew will use the same words about your words and deeds. They expose who you really love, who it is you're really following, who is your king. That's how the idea is, that your words and your deeds expose your loyalty. And the false prophet will produce the fruit of a lifestyle in keeping with their true nature in the end. See, the wolf doesn't eat grass. That's a giveaway, isn't it? The lambs are all walking around the field eating the grass, and the wolf is thinking, I can't eat grass. I don't have the stomach for it. I need to eat a sheep at some point. And so it is, the false prophet... The prophet who believes lies, the false prophet who really is walking on the wide road, they're going to produce ungodliness. In verse 17, the the image changes slightly. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So here we're no longer talking about two different species of tree. Here we're talking about the quality of the tree. In the village where I grew up, we had a great tree that fell over in high winds. It was great fun playing playing in this fallen over tree. The roots had snapped. 
And the whole thing had fallen into a field, which was great fun for us small children. The tree looked fine, so long as it was standing. Uh, But it was dead at the core. Some blight had eaten away at the inside of the tree. Its roots had no life in them. There was no sap. And so the roots had snapped and the tree had fallen over. And it turned out that the tree had been dead for a long time. And so it is here. A healthy apple tree will produce good apples year after year. And a bad apple tree may appear to be of the same kind. It's an apple tree. It may go to church. It may even claim to teach the Bible, but it will produce bad fruit. And perhaps Jesus has in mind here, as a difference to, to verse 16, the sort of people like the Ephesian elders, people who started well, people who looked like they were good guys. They believed the gospel, but were persuaded over time to abandon it. And so it morphed from being real sheep, or at least appearing to be real sheep, to being wolves. And that's what Paul is anticipating amongst his own elders. They would have once seemed like healthy apple trees, but over time they've died and rotted at the core. And they cannot produce good fruit anymore. So uh, let's be clear about the general principle that Jesus is teaching in 16 to to 19 here then. Or to verse 20. False beliefs about Christ and about his gospel inevitably leads to false living, to unfruitfulness. Because we know that to some extent in our own lives. Every one of us who has uh, sinned, if we examine our sin at all, will realise that that our sin is at least partly related to a, a failure to believe at that moment in the truth of the gospel. And the truth is, one day we'll see Jesus as he is and we'll no longer sin it anymore. And so we know that sin is related to a failure to believe the truth. And yet the, the reality is, every believer bears some good fruit. Every one of us. Now some of us will be sitting here with sensitive consciences and we'll be thinking, God, but you don't know me, Ash. You don't know the sin that I've got in my heart, the, the way that I've failed. Let me say, if that's you... And you're trusting in Jesus. Let me, let me ask you to, to find a good friend before you go home today. Someone who knows you well and just say, what fruit do you see in my life? And my guess is your friends will be able to see much more fruit, positive fruit in your life than you can. Others of us might need our failings pointing out to us, but uh, we'll leave that for another day. The truth is most of us are very well aware of our stumbling, the ways in which we're tempted to fall out of the path. But the truth is, if we're trusting Jesus today and desiring to follow him, then we will be bearing good fruits. And Jesus applies this general principle to the false teachers and says, watch their lives. Paul in Titus says, don't don't appoint elders quickly, just watch their lives first. Make sure they're godly people. Watch the lives of your elders. Are they producing good fruit in keeping with the gospel? Because if they're not, maybe they're there to deceive and to destroy And I realise that I'm I'm preaching and my elders are looking at me and thinking, thanks, great. (laughs) So even by comparison to the youngest believer amongst us, the false prophet will be bearing bad fruit. Do you see? Look at the fruit and you will be able to tell who God's prophets really are, who the teachers you should be listening to really are. What happens to the bad tree? Verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, the language is taken straight out of John the Baptist's teaching in chapter 3, where he says, 
The axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And he goes on to say, who's going to do that? Who is the judge with the winnowing fork in his hand? It is Jesus. It is Jesus who judges. It is Jesus who says, this is the path to follow. And then weighs every one of us as to whether we're following. What greater motivation is there to walk the narrow path and to desire to bear fruit in keeping with the lifestyle Jesus commands than the fact that Jesus is the judge? What greater motivation is there to avoid the false teacher? I hope we feel motivated. Of course, some might ask, does being in the narrow path and looking for false prophets make us narrow-minded people? And the answer is both no and yes. If by narrow-minded we mean judgmental, bigoted or hateful, then no, it absolutely doesn't mean that. There but for the grace of God go I. But if by narrow-minded we mean discerning, then it absolutely does mean that. Christ has told us that the broad and flexible way goes to hell. He tells us that there is a narrow way to life and we must stick to it. It is Jesus who has, as it were, put the curbs down the side of the path. He's fenced it in. He's told us what that path looks like. And everything that lies outside of that path is a risk of death to us. So we must be careful to discern which road we're taking and to whom we will listen. We must make a choice to walk differently to the world around us. Those who are going with the flow are not our teachers. And it's true, people will think we're bigoted because we choose to live a different life to them. And because we call them from their hellbound road to heaven and the narrow path. I don't think it's bigoted to know the truth and to desire people to be with you in heaven. And we must make a careful choice about who we let teach us, friends. It is not the way of the narrow path to embrace any and every teaching that claims to be Christian. That's the way of the wide road. Every church must constantly be vigilant about her influences. Who do you read? Who do you listen to? When was the last time you sat critically and listened to Andy or I as we preached? I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations of ways in which this has gone wrong. These are real-life situations. I'm sorry for naming names, but these are important, and they help us to see what we need to do. Some of you will remember the name Roy Clements. Those of you who don't, it's probably a sign of your age, because Roy Clements was, back in the 1980s and 90s, perhaps the most famous evangelical in the Western world. He was our most preeminent preacher, He ran perhaps the largest independent evangelical church in the country and spoke all over the world. Until, that is, he was discovered to have been conducting a number of gay affairs while on preaching trips around the world. Just imagine that. You've been flown to another part of the world to proclaim the saving knowledge of Christ and you use that opportunity to go and conduct an affair while your wife and children are at home. He was so prominent and so well-loved that he was above reproach. And so people hadn't been asking him the difficult questions. They didn't look at his life very closely. Afterwards, he abandoned sound doctrine. 
to conform his teaching to the lifestyle he'd been living secretly for 20 years. He may once have appeared to have been a sheep. He certainly appeared to be a sheep. Who became a wolf without anybody noticing. And his false living led to false believing. And so to false teaching. And he leads people into the way of destruction now. Terribly sad. It is the job of every church to know that her elders are godly men. To ask the difficult questions. Are we men of light? Are the elders of this church men of light? Walking in the light, living in the light, and teaching according to the light, so that you might be lighty people too. Consider Steve Chalk, who many of you will have heard of. Like Roy Clements, he was a prominent evangelical in the 1980s, a man who's done much good in South London even. In the last decade or so, Steve has published three important written pieces. At first, in his book, The Lost Message of Jesus, he denied that Jesus had died on the cross to bear the sins of men and women and the wrath of God at them. He called the centre of the gospel cosmic child abuse. He then later wrote that we should redefine marriage to embrace same-sex unions. The warning signs were there, I think, already. uh, That even though he claims the evangelical label, he has problems with the evangelical gospel. And so it's not a great surprise that recently he declared that the Bible itself was unclear and needed reinterpreting for a new generation. It is not a surprise to me that a man who cannot see penal substitutionary atonement or the primacy of lifelong heterosexual marriage in the Bible turns out to be a man with a problem reading the Bible. But the truth is, and the tragedy of it is, the signs were there long before his errant teaching told us that he was no longer an evangelical, but a false prophet. I think the signs were there a long time ago when he turned his focus away from teaching the Bible and chose to focus instead on social projects like education and political engagement. Now, please don't mishear me. I think those are crucial subjects and things that Christians ought to be thinking about and working towards. But the question is, are they things that a pastor ought to be doing? The pastor's calling is to devote themselves to the ministry of prayer and the word. And when a pastor turns away from that, that should scream out to us, this person has forgotten what he's about, has forgotten the calling of God on his life. It is the job of our elders to keep you guys on the narrow path. It's our job as elders to pray for you and to instruct you in the way to live for Christ. And Steve Chalk abandoned his calling, I think, In the end, it became apparent that he did not believe what the Bible said anyway. He looked like a sheep, incredibly charismatic, a powerful presence, charming, but wrong. And leading so many people away from the narrow path. Forgive me for naming names, but it's important that we get clear. These are people who are right in the midst of our constituency, people we would deeply trust, or at least once would have deeply trusted. So what should we do, friends? I think most obviously we need to make the decision to go through the narrow gate. If you haven't made that decision yet, strive to enter. If you're not yet a Christian, let me ask you, what on earth are you waiting for? It is there for you. The gate is open to you. Put your trust in Christ 
and enter the path to life. Don't, don't, don't you want to avoid destruction? Don't you want to have eternal life? And for some of us here, it is time that you made up your mind for Jesus. And if you are following Jesus, let me ask you, how carefully are you following the path? I take it if you were up on Hua Shan, up on those planks we saw at the beginning, I don't think we'd allow ourselves any distractions, would we? Uh, all the, the hullabaloo and the shouting behind us, we would pay total attention to the path we're on. So are you reading your Bible? Are you doing what it says? Are you listening to our sermons in the Sermon on the Mount and thinking, I must live like this and try and striving? The path is narrow. Are we being careful to stick to it? Are we desiring to be salty, lighty people, as Jesus is the light? See, the narrow path is the path to transformation. It's the path that as we, as we follow along, at trying to live as Jesus calls us to be, we become more like Jesus. We become more like the light ourselves. That's why false prophets are so dangerous, because they're darkness in themselves. They can't instruct us how to live the Christian life, because they don't, they've never lived the Christian life themselves. And so are you watching out for false teaching? Are you careful about the books that you read? I hope that you do read. I hope that you look for books that will help you to live the Christian life. But are you careful who you read? Do come and talk to Andy or myself, uh, or to Linda or one of the other team, about books that might be good for us. If you're not reading, why not? But if you are reading, are you being careful? when you download your mp3s to listen to your sermons on the way to to work or whatever in the morning are you careful who you listen to i remember some years ago mark driscoll was getting five million downloads a week of his sermons but most of the people who downloaded his sermons had no idea what was going on in his life people in his church did it's one of the great blessings of being part of a, a, a local church as you can know your pastors And you can know your elders. Are you paying attention to the lives of the team in your church? Are you looking at the lifestyle that we're living and saying, those are lighty people? Can you say that of us? I hope that you can. I think that you can, but maybe I'm deceived. Are you asking the questions? See, our job is to keep instructing you in the way of the narrow path. And your job as a congregation is to make sure we're doing that rightly. To make sure we're still walking in the path ourselves. Because you can be sure if we're abandoning the path, our teaching will go the wrong way too. And will lead you away to destruction. A few years ago, a friend of mine came to me in another ministry I was involved with. And he said, I don't think my pastor has preached on sin for three years. Would you notice if Andy or I just didn't teach some stuff. Important doctrines that should be coming up in our regular preaching. Would you notice? He and, his, and some friends from church confronted their pastor and challenged him on this. And on a couple of other things he'd failed to teach. And the guy refused to change his trajectory. Refused to change path. And so my friend left. He and a number of other people in the church went to find a different church. Because false teaching is that serious. Uh, the teaching of the scriptures, hearing the voice of Christ, the good shepherd, and he is the good shepherd, 
who's walked the path for us, who lights the path for us through his word, who calls us to follow him, how can we listen to Christ if the teachers who are opening the Bible to us are not teaching us Christ? I hope you find that we're teaching the gospel. But never let your guard down. Because false teachers will destroy you. Jesus is the good shepherd. You need to listen to him. And so you need good under-shepherds who will teach Jesus' words and lead you to life. And for that you need people who are living the light as Christ is in the light. So friends, let me ask you. Are you walking the path? Are you doing it diligently? Are you careful to stick to the narrow way? Are you listening to Jesus' words and doing what he says? And are you taking your responsibility seriously, every one of you, to make sure that your elders are lighty men who can teach you faithfully because they themselves are walking on the way? Let me pray for us as we end. Our loving Lord Jesus, we praise you for your word, which is light and life and health to us. Praise you for the narrow way which is given to us that we might live as you have lived and live for your glory and live uh, that we might reach eternity. We pray for our elders and all who teach us in this church that you would make us humble, godly people who love the Lord and love his word and desire more than anything that your people should live uh, for Jesus and, uh, and walk on the way. Please help us to be godly men and please help us as a church to hold our elders to account. And Father, we pray very much that everyone here would enter through the narrow gate and desire very much to stick to the narrow way. Call us, if we're not there yet, into your ways and help us in the end to reach that eternal life. Lord, I pray very much that you would spare everyone in this room from destruction which is untold misery. Give us life, we pray, and keep us in that faith. For Jesus' sake, amen.